and welcome to A Pivotal Moment, a podcast series about ordinary people who made extraordinary decisions both in their business and personal lives. I'm Mark Cahalan, and in this episode, I will be talking to the husband and wife team behind Poulet Bomb Farm, Gavin McCarthy and Sarah Mitchell. Both Gavin and Sarah had successful careers across property development and international marketing before they took the decision to set up Poulet Bomb Farm. I started by asking them both about their backgrounds. So, Sarah and Gav, welcome. Sarah, tell me a little bit about your background, your family, where you grew up. Well, I grew up, well, after a few years abroad, I moved to Dublin, aged seven or eight, grew up in Monkstown. I'm the eldest of five children. I don't live very far from where I grew up now in Dunleary and now have four children. My background is always been in marketing and sales, really more marketing. I worked in London for a few years for beer company and then came home to Dublin, married Gav and set up my own company, actually, which was kind of in advance. And it was going well until the crash in 2000. Eight, yeah. You came home to marry Gav. That sounded very deliberate. Well, that's what Gav says, yeah. I came home and married Gav soon after I arrived home. Okay. <laughs> and Gav, tell us about your background, family. Uh, yeah, I grew up in, in Glenageary in South Dublin. I'm the youngest of four boys. And I primarily, my background would have been property before Poulibon Farm. I worked in Hook and MacDonald in the city centre. And then I went to work for a property developer uh, after that. And then obviously the crash came in 2008 and everything changed. Did you enjoy what you were doing? I loved it, yeah. Loved it. Loved property. I still do love property. I suppose when I was working in Hook and MacDonald, it was really on the marketing side of things that I was working in mostly. It was obviously sales, but it was about presenting developments. And so it was all new developments. So it was very busy at the time. So it was all presenting, you know, sort of lifestyles and, you know, way of life and, and, and uh, new schemes. And it was all kind of uh, very exciting. Loved it. And Sarah, what about you? Were you happy with what you were doing? Were you enthralled with it? I certainly loved working for the beer company in London. I don't know whether that was just because of all the free passes to concerts and festivals and nightclubs or whether it was the work. I was in my 20s. It was a lot of fun. And then when I came home and started working for myself, I did enjoy that, actually. I liked the freedom of it. And I was disappointed when it didn't work. But actually, I was also pregnant with our first baby. So the timing wasn't the worst. I wasn't sure how I was going to do it. I obviously had no no one else working with me. It was just one man band. So yeah, it wasn't too disappointing. Had you both always wanted to have your own businesses? I did anyway, I think. My, my dad actually always worked for himself pretty much. So I was, it was kind of a natural thing for me to do. I, I think I always wanted to work for myself. And even when I was working for, you know, other companies, I think it was only a matter of time before I wanted to do my own thing. Yeah. So I think I always did want to work for myself. And Sarah? I don't think it was quite as straightforward for me. I didn't really have a career path. I was just living day to day and having fun. I, I never really thought about what I wanted to do so much. So it's been an interesting path for me. I always knew I couldn't work for anyone else, but that was because I just wasn't very good at it. And then when I did start that events business, I realised that actually, you know, it's obviously very hard work and you've no backup, but I did enjoy it more. I was better not taking direction from other people, definitely. You've both described the crash, which was obviously a pivotal impact on your, your working lives. What brought you to Pule Bonfam? How did that come about? It really all started in August 2008. So we got married in 2007. And then in August 2008, Sam, our eldest, was born in July. 
and then we were down on holiday down in West Cork and I think Sarah you were going to stay on for longer and I was coming back to my job and I drove back on a Sunday came into work on Monday and never forget the feeling driving into the office getting in my car going to the office and I knew there was something not right in in you know in the the atmosphere in the building wasn't right I, I knew something was, was kind of strange and then that's when I lost my job, got made redundant. So that was really the start of Bill Farm, actually, even though we didn't know what we were going to do. But that was the beginning of, of something. I went straight back down to West Cork, I think, and it was kind of a shock. I mean, Sam was two weeks old or something like that. So in one way, it was a huge shock, but then also it was kind of nice to spend some time with him as well. I mean, even though I think actually the writing was probably on the wall for the whole industry, probably even going back to 2006, 2007, there was problems there. You know, everyone could see that the price being paid for sites was off the charts and it was just all very, very bubbly indeed. But We were quite young. So in hindsight, when you look back at that crash, as you say, it was a hugely pivotal point in our lives. Like everything changed. But I don't think we quite realised how much when we were in it because we were young and we were so optimistic and we were so willing to take a chance on something. I don't know that I'd do it again now. Even though we had Sam, he was only 10 days old. So even that responsibility of being a parent hadn't kicked in either. So the whole world changed, but I do think it took us a few years to look back and realise actually how much it had changed and what we did risk. Because and what we had to go through, actually. Gav you know. got a redundancy package. He was lucky because he was one of the first to go. He got one. I don't think anyone after might have, but we were able to use that money. But we put the whole thing into Poulip on Fam. We never questioned whether we should be, you know, putting it aside for a mortgage. Gav had bought a house and we had both redone it and moved in. So... All of those kind of questions, which now when I look back, I can't believe that we didn't think about. But I just think we were so, you know, young. And before Poulet Bamfam came about, Gav, you've lost your job. Sarah, you're in the events business. You have a very young son. Do you start a conversation together? What are we going to do? What do we want to do? Do we want to do something together? We thought you'd get another job. I was going to go and get another job in property. But really, there was no jobs out there whatsoever. It was kind of people burying their heads in the sand a little bit in terms of how big the problem was. But I'd had insight into that because I'd seen, you know, the price that were being paid for sites. I knew there was a problem coming. So I, at the time, tried to position myself, you know, between financial institutions and developers to try and carve out some sort of a, a role for myself as a go-between. I don't know. But I think then Nama came along and that just kind of took that away. So I, I tried to do a few things, maybe I think up until about Christmas time of 2008, I tried to kind of get something off the ground. And then we had discussed, I think we had discussed, you know, the food industry or I, I, I can't actually remember. Did we? No, I don't think we did. You, you had looked at that and then you looked at other parts of property that you could have gone into. And then I think by Christmas, we realised like, that's just not going to happen. And then the option to emigrate was always there. And, you know, a lot of people were going to Canada. I had been born in Canada and had no intention of going back. And not only that, I'd just come home from London. So I did, you know, emigration just wasn't on the cards for me anyway. And then we had been to Spain a few times and seen the rotisserie. And actually every time we'd gone on holidays, we'd been excited about getting it. You know, it was so tasty. And Gav suggested it one day in the kitchen and again, when I look back at this, it's it's again that youth and naivety almost. Like I thought, oh yeah, great. I'd love to work in a market. You know, it's so romantic. Yeah, I could totally see myself working in a market. And Gav just threw it out. And actually, in a funny way, it was the only one that took legs. Like there were a few ideas. Yeah, there was actually a delivery. I remember at the time people were all leaving. People were all leaving 
going to London, going to Canada, and there was we just I can remember considering like you know we set up some sort of a, a transport company to fill. Yeah, that, you know, there, there were was, a few ideas, but this one just took off because again, Gav had that money, so we were able to just invest it into capital. So we got the rich histories in. We got the van made up in Northern Ireland, actually in Randallstown, and. We got a place on some of the markets. It took us about a year to get into all of the good ones. But there was a bit of a, a thing going on about Irish food as well at the time. I think we were quite lucky in that way. People were very focused on Ireland. When you think back, you know, they were adamant they weren't going to buy foreign food. Everyone wanted to support Irish. So actually... The markets are just t- beginning to take off. The food scene was really vibrant at the time then. Yes, yeah, so we kind of found ourselves lucky in, in the right place at the right time. But it was never going to be forever. This was just a stopgap. And just before getting into the whole Poulet Van Pham story, do you remember what the emotion was like when you realised, well, look, Gav isn't going to get another job? Were you afraid? Were you panicking? What was going on for you? I, I don't think we were. Uh, yeah, we I think we probably should have been. But no, never. That's one thing I always look back and I'm amazed about, that there was never, we were so confident. It, like, I, I kind of can't believe how confident we were. We were just convinced that we could do this and then, you know, you'd get a job again or I'd get a job. One of us would get a job and the other one would keep Poulet Bonfam on, almost like a little business in the market and we'd keep going. And we very much lived hand to mouth for those definitely Early. 12 or 18 yeah. months, you know, and, and then we had another baby and it was really busy. But again, we were excited, I suppose. It worked. Like it worked from the start. So we were, we were busy, you know, so suddenly we were actually trying to kind of almost catch up with it in a way. Yeah, we got a second trailer pretty quickly. Like it was only 12 months. We had two trailers on the go and we were working seven days a week and our mums were minding the boys. We two at the time. You know, it was busy. So you just didn't have time. And anyway, everyone was losing their job by that stage. So it wasn't so shocking. You know, we were kind of lucky to have a job and a lot of our friends left. So we were also lucky we didn't have to leave. And just to fully understand, when you talk about trailers and rotisseries, you had seen in markets in Spain how people bought rotisserie cooked chickens. Yeah. Like a grocery. And, and, and you had this idea that might, that'll work in Ireland. Yeah. And the start was you had a trailer and a stand. When you say markets, you're talking about food markets in parks. Yes. Yeah. So you were literally traveling around Dublin? Yeah. How many markets were you doing? Nine or ten markets a week? Yeah. yeah. All some, over Dublin, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. And then we our did main some one events. really was Dunleary on, on a Sunday. Though. That was our that was our one that really got us going, got us established. We had a very, very, very busy trade on Sunday. We kind of made a name for ourselves. You know, I think I mean we, it was actually people still come to us even in you know New Storm in Blackrock we've just opened. People come up to us and think we bought from you when you were in the trailers. That it's it's really you know, it was actually even though we didn't know it at the time, it was very strong for the brand, you know, like for people to get to know us and to link, you know, the business that it is now back to then. It's actually been a great story. Where did the name come from? Actually my mom, her mom used to make a recipe called Poulet Bon Femme, which was white wine chicken dish as opposed to the cock van which is the one everyone knows so when we started it mum just threw the name out and then just instantly we loved it and actually over the years people have told us they don't like it but we've been we've really stuck to it I think it really suits the brand and yeah I just as soon as I heard it I was like it's perfect So you have a growing family a young family your husband your husband and wife what is it like working together when that sort of pressure comes on Is it, how do you manage that? You know, you're just doing it. We didn't have a choice, again, because we were only just married when it happened. Like, we've never really known anything else. 
it's just part of our life. It's not like work. You somebody can't ever turn it, it off. Yeah, it's like always there. Somebody described it. The business is like the wallpaper. It's always in the background. It's always there. And that's working for yourself is like that. It's always there. You never really get away from it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you don't ever get away from it. It's always there. It's always a responsibility that you need to. And even the kids are so aware of it. Like Mark, the second boy, would have been in a little papoose. I'd have been working in the trailer with him as a newborn baby behind the counter. It's so part of their lives. So very much a, a family enterprise, obviously. How do you reach decisions together? Do you discuss everything? Is one of you the ideas person? One of you the organisation person? How does that all work? It's a slow process, I think. We start talking about something and then we don't ever stop talking about it. We go for a lot, walks a lot. We talk things, but it's a slow process. We don't really ever sit down and make decisions. We're not... I think we're more instinctual, like we, we, our instincts are always, I don't know how to describe that, but it's not, we don't ever sit down and make decisions like that. We hardly yeah. sit down and have meetings. We have team meetings, obviously, but you and I, things just evolve slowly. And I guess then at crunch times, we decide, will we do this or will we not? But we've already made up our minds. And again, like I've said, it's it's always there. So it's like, even in the middle of the night, you could be talking about it. You know, it, it doesn't, it's just part of your, your day-to-day. It's, it's part of conversations all the time. So it's not like, you know, you need to sit and have a meeting about work. We have tried like, sometimes not to talk about work, you know, if we go out for dinner. But like not in a sort of repressive way, just like it's an interest of ours. You know, we love it, you yeah. know, so it's we like talking about it. Obviously, you know, there's some elements that are more challenging than others or, you know, parts of the business that are challenging. But, you know, we both love what we do. So it's not like it's it's not like work. You must have seen and learned different things about each other. Gav, what have you learned about Sarah? She's very good on, she's very clear minded which I wouldn't have thought, actually, when I married her, I wouldn't have thought she was quite as clear-minded as she is. Very focused, very clear-minded, very good on numbers. And I didn't know that about her before. I mean, maybe this the reality of running our business kind of brings things out in you, and I'm sure it does. But I definitely didn't know that about her before I married her. And Sarah, what have you learned about Gav? I don't know whether I knew this about him or not, but he has great instincts for things. So he's great with people and he's great at understanding people. And you can put him anywhere. But he he has just a good instinct for the business. You know, he mightn't sit down and do the numbers with me, but he just understands business. And maybe it goes back to what he said about his dad always having a business. But he he's a risk taker, but it's an instinct in him. You know, and I guess I would never have known that. But I would have had no reason to know that. I wouldn't have seen him at work or, you know, even listened to him when he's talking about work. As the business has evolved, you've moved out of parks, you've moved into the Avoca network, and you've recently opened your own store in Black Rock. Was that always a compelling vision for the business? Going back to 2010, because that's, that's a, that was a pivotal time in the business when we were up and running a year and a half or so, and then the snow came. That was a lesson for us that we cannot rely purely on the markets because it's weather dependent. It's not like it's in France and Spain where people, sure. it's part of their culture where they shop in markets and the weather's fine and everything else. You know, you can't have that when it rains in Ireland, you know, it rains and, you know, people don't necessarily shop in the rain, do you know? So we were looking at our own shop actually in Monkstown and that's how the Evoca thing came along in a way because we were looking at a shop in Monkstown and we had nearly done a, signed a lease on a, on, a, on a premises and then we heard Evoca were opening up along the Crescent in Monkstown and that they wanted to do rotisserie. 
we and were we were of, crushed. We were de- devastated by that news, thinking, "Oh my God, here come Avoca! They're a phenomenal brand, and if they want to do rotisserie, they'll do rotisserie and they'll blow us out of the market." Do you know what I mean? So, but then it was Sarah's dad actually suggested, "Why don't you just get in touch with Avoca?" And as, as it turns out, my dad knew Donald Pratt, and there was a sort of a, kind of a family connection to a degree. So we contacted Simon, and he knew about us, and then he said, "Why don't you come in on a concession basis in Avoca?" Suddenly, we come from a market into Avoca, which is amazing. And then that kind of started something with, with them. So we originally did want to have our own shop and our own standalone. But then the Avoca thing, we opened with Avoca and that really worked. And the next thing, we're opening another one, another one, another one. And, you know, and that totally consumed what we were doing. So coming back to our own store, it was always going to happen at some point. Took much longer took much longer, because yeah. of the Avoca relationship, you know. We were, we so were able busy to expand for so long. Yeah. easily with Avoca. But it had originally been always the plan. Yeah. Well, always the plan when we realised this was going to be our jobs, you know, that it wasn't just a short-term thing to get us through the recession. So then we decided we'd But really also like when we it. opened the Avoca, that was on the... 11th of the 11th, 2011. Yeah, we were slammed, so busy. We, you know, it was great. We were really busy. People really responded to the product and, you know, just it worked. So when something works, you just go with it. It hasn't all been plain sailing. You looked at uh, a franchise model at some stage. Is that right? What, yeah. what, what went on there and what were the, the key learnings for you both? I think we just realised that the brand isn't suited. To, it's not so streamlined. You know, we, we did a lot of work in making it streamlined and putting in systems and trying to replicate it. But actually, I think we learned that it's, it's not. It's, it's too organic. You know, it's too, it didn't respond well. And that location is so important for us. Yeah. There are certain criteria that we need and it doesn't work without that. Yeah, and I think we, we you know, we really started valuing our own staff. You know, mm. we really understood from, from that point on that, you know, your staff are so much part of your brand and you can't just kind of outsource that. Well, you can. I mean, some, some brands do it and it works. But I think you need to be so tight on control. I think sometimes if you're really tight in control, you lose that little bit of something with your brand. You just need to be careful that you don't you don't ruin your ruin things, you know. So, but the staff we weren't we weren't controlling the staff. So basically, all the kind of suppliers that you know, the bread, the chicken, the marinade, all the things that made you know our product was all kind of agreed, and they had to use the, you know all of our kind of agreed suppliers and everything else. But the staff need to believe it. Well, they it's, are it's part, of the brand, part of the very brand, very much yeah. so, and especially yeah. in a, a kind of high end product. The staff are the ones who are selling it. They're totally part of the team for us. What are the key differences running your own business, being an employee of a business? You've talked about, okay, your husband and wife partnership. It's an ongoing, ever-present conversation. But what else is different for you? Well, I mean, it would be a lie to say that sometimes I don't daydream about being an employee and just clocking off at five o'clock on a Friday and getting my pay. You know, that's very tempting. But I think working for yourself, for us, and because we've got a family and we're doing it together, it has given us a huge freedom and a lifestyle we love and we didn't plan for, but it has really worked for us. For me anyway, there's no comparison. I wouldn't be able to do the employee, but but it's not all plain sailing, as you say. It can be over-consuming, full on. There's no let up, you know, even if you're sure. on holidays and especially, I sometimes do feel bad for the kids that... Sometimes it's always there. I think you're right, Sarah. I don't think it's just such a different thing. It's a it's a lifestyle. Like working for yourself is a lifestyle, you know. And 
if it works, you can be very lucky. You know, like it's tough though. I mean, it's really tough on people. I know a lot of people in, in the restaurant business now are really struggling. It's tough. It's tough going. It's hard work. And it doesn't always work out. And, you know, we're acutely aware that, you know, we're happy with things and the business is going well. But, you know, there's risk there. Just before we finish up, two quick questions. Other people who have that drive or that inner voice saying they want to do something quite different in their working lives. What advice would you give them? Well, I think if you have that drive to do it, you should always do it. You should never listen to anyone else. But I I know that's such an easy thing to say. That's quite a hard thing to do, to ignore other people. But I do think you should always go for it. But I, I also think that if there's an area you're not good at, you really need to get help. I mean, we talked about finance, but that is an area that we've always got help on. Now, I've definitely learned a huge skill there that I never had, but you need to get people to help you. You can't do everything, but I definitely think you should do it. You know, it's a no brainer. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if you have a passion, you just you kind of owe it yourself to go and do it. Having said that, that you need to be real and you need to be able to recognize when something's not working, you know, so it's all very well. And there's a definitely a romanticism to working for yourself. There's no doubt about that. People think it's you know, they think it's it's going to be one way or one, you know, a certain way and it's not. I think you need to be real. I think you need to, be able to adjust. Like, you know, there's been plenty of times when we've been doing something and we've had to adjust very quickly to, in order to not make it into, not turn it into a disaster, even early days, you know. So you need to be adaptable. Um, I think if you have a passion, though, personally, I think it's worth doing, you know, but I think you also need to be living in the real world too. We were lucky in a way, though, that we didn't make the decision in in some ways to go out and do this. Like, life just got in our way. There's no way we would have, there's no way I would have left my job to go and set this up. No way. You know, so in some ways you're right, we were lucky in that way that this this was forced upon us. And finally, Gav, what's something through all of this change you have learned about yourself? I don't know. I mean, I'm probably fairly resilient and I think you, I didn't know that about myself because probably never had to know that, you know, but I would say I'm resilient. I keep going. And that's, I guess that's a pretty important characteristic to have when you run your own business. I think you have to be able to keep going no matter what, because it's, there's been some really hard times, really difficult times, and you just got to keep going. Otherwise it, 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 uh, it won't work out. Actually something also I've learned about myself, resilience, but it's kind of like a strength that you didn't know you had, where I guess you've no choice, but you're doing it for your family and you can just work through anything and any amount of hours and I'm sometimes surprised to myself at how willing you are to keep going. But you've no choice at the same time. But I don't think, like Gav says, there's no reason to know that about yourself until your back is up against the wall. Like it's been loads of fun and a love of business that I didn't know I had, but I do love it. And that's been a huge surprise. It's also, you know, what it can be as well. You know, what the brand can be ultimately or, you know, in the future. That's exciting to work towards something and and try and grow it, develop it. And, you know, every brand starts off small. So, you know, why not grow it? Gavin McCarthy, Sarah Mitchell, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having us. You've been listening to A Pivotal Moment. My name is Mark Cahalan. I help businesses tell compelling stories to engage their stakeholders. I coach senior business leaders on systemic change and leadership. I partner business teams to help them drive high performance. And when business relationships go wrong, I help them all negotiate better ways of working together. You can find out more on my take on these topics at martelloleadership.com. Martello.